0: This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters, and culture. Colonization and genocide are ongoing processes that continue to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Snack pod. Hey, what up? Welcome back to OZPOL Snackpod, the podcast that grinds up the week's news and packs it all into one big slimy tube for easy consumption.
1: That's right. Welcome back to OZPOL Snackpod, the weekly podcast about Australian news, politics, and memes. And we're also the official podcast of the OZPOL Shitposting Facebook group, which is uh, popping off in election season. So if you want some shitposting, please head on down to OZPOL Shitposting and answer the questions or we won't let you in. My name is Noon, and with me, as always, is my co-host...
0: Hey, what's up? It's Zach the Snack. Can I also advise, if you want to join the Ospo Shitposting Facebook group, that you don't insult us or our podcast in the admission questions. Yeah. It's just, like, it's not a great tactic.
1: Technically, that person answered the questions correctly, but, (laughs) uh... Yeah. Anyway, well, they had a bad take about The Simpsons as well. But that question, I really, it's a bit outdated. I should change it. But answer it anyway, listener. Uh, But we're back with a slightly unusual episode this week because uh, a couple days ago, Zach sat down with Anastasia from the NTEU, the National Tertiary Education Union, for a chat about um, some stuff that's going on there. So the back half of this episode will be that interview. Um, We do have some news before then. Uh, but before we get to that, I also wanted to say thank you so much to our new patron, Rebecca, who is supporting us. Uh, listen, if you really like the show and you want to support us financially, you can do it at patreon.com forward slash OspolSnackPod, And for a dollar a month, you get a monthly bonus episode, access to our Discord, where we post pictures of our animals and other cool things at tiers, So consider doing that. That's true. <laughs> Shall we get into the news? Let's do it. Shit post of the week. That's right. The meme news. Um, What's happening
0: in memes this week, Noon? Give us the meme roundup.
1: Well, the main meme news is that uh, Facebook seems to have done some kind of weird patch that means everyone's feeds are showing content from the earliest State of groups. So all of my groups from twenty, and uh, my posts and I was bullshit posting from twenty sixteen, being like plus invite friends, um, uh, uh, like getting super popular. Um, the uh, lots of compare to pair memes. That template was really
0: big in twenty sixteen. It was, like, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Bill, uh, it was Bill Shorten and Malcolm Turnbull. Uh, Malcolm Turnbull compare there. Yeah, opinion. yeah. Uh, and uh, Ethan made a meme of uh. Uh, kent brockman saying and i for one welcome man you were 2016 posting overlords <laughs> um and uh, along with this wave of resurrected content uh i don't know actually know if that was the reason for this but there was a article that van Badham wrote in 2013 and uh, a screenshot of it has been doing the rounds uh, it was posted in all posting by amy sergeant so shout out to amy for sharing this horrifying content and the article is titled Hot elbows appeal is not about sex; it's about <laughs> Labor's golden age. And there's a, the the usual picture of Van that she has on all of her Guardian bylines, looking like serious and informed, but also like witty. Um, uh, and it's just the worst possible picture to put with that title. Um, I mean, she got the first half of the headline right. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah. You actually read some of the article. I couldn't make myself. Sustain that psychic damage.
0: Yeah, she used some kind of phrase like "hot Albo's viral political currency" or something like that. Which yeah. I just, yeah, I don't know. I stopped after that. I didn't want to hear about Albo's hot viral load. But it's no. like the the. I mean, I lied. I did keep reading it, and it is it, it's classic Van Bedum labor hackery and like hagiography of labor history, where yes. it's sort of like lionizing Bob Hawke. As being a very cool guy, which he was not. He was a fucking no. snitch and a traitor to the labor movement. Yep. Uh, but that doesn't matter to Van because he has the aesthetics of a good labor leader. That's right. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's classic Van content in the sense that it takes something almost completely unrelated to Bob Hawk and somehow makes it about Bob <laughs> Hawk uh, And also is very weird about thirsting for a politician, which we yes. don't need to do that any more, Com- Completely please. unnecessary, yeah. But the reason this came back up is because Hot Albo has re-entered the discourse in a big right. way this week, which, no, right. you're going to take us through in a little bit. In
1: just a sec, but we do yeah. have a couple more memes to get to first, I'm let's, let's,
0: yeah. let's do that before we take the horrifying dive into 2022's version of the Hot Albo discourse. Yep. Yeah.
1: So, uh, Maeve uh, joined the group specifically at my request because I saw them in a different group uh, posting this fire meme and was like, please post it in my australian <laughs> shitposting group uh we have posts and from 2016 onwards it's homer wearing his much adored by fans half moon spectacles <laughs> they're, which they're is reading great glasses they're so good and they're like <laughs> he just whips them out at key moments <laughs> uh and he's like okay uh yeah i love that it's canonical but also adorable um and uh he's at the irs burger um, and he says, let's see, <laughs> anti-LGBT plus culture war strategies lose us twice as many voters as they gain us, approval already low, divide 53, take Integrate- away, Jenny, what was the yes vote for marriage equality in the seat of Warringah? And then off-screen <laughs> Marge slash Jenny Morrison is replying, 75%. Um,
0: yeah, more of, I mean, the the context for this is obviously... Catherine Deves, the horrible f- fascist transphobe that Scott Morrison right. handpicked to run in Warringah, continues to embarrass both herself and the party this week. Yep. I think the main news on that front was that she claimed that she'd been receiving death threats uh, for her horrible transphobic views. And um,
1: referred it to the police, and the ye- police were like, nah. Oh, did it get referred to cops even? I didn't see that. It didn't, but I oh, think right. someone asked the cops, have you received any reports? And they were like, no,
0: well, because it turned out the death threat she was talking about was a screen cap from over a year ago from an account that is clearly a transphobic troll pretending to be a trans person.
1: I see. Being well, like good. I
0: I'm I'm a trans man and I believe that you should have your head cut off is very much the vibe of the the tweet. Like, oh yeah. Great, great. She's quaking in her boots. But yeah, I mean she was like talking about it as if this was this was like a recent thing. Yep. Um yeah, she's an embarrassment, a huge embarrassment. <laughs> Uh, yep. And Scott, uh, an embarrassment of Scott Morrison's making when it comes
1: to the, this election cycle. Absolutely. Uh, also, in embarrassing Scott Morrison kind of news, um, he went to a factory in Townsville. Every <laughs> single article was like a factory, and I was like, okay, which, what kind factory? Of, like, it It's
0: took... it's an elect it's it's a, it's a factory. What more do you need to know? They wear high vis. A... The Prime Minister went there. <laughs>
1: That is the crucial issue, yeah, um uh, it turns out it was the t i steel fabrication plant. What do they make Steel, steel fabrication items <laughs> literally, yeah, I read the whole website, and I think one of the things they make is pipes <laughs> anyway, washes nuts they they have a sign that says, "If you mess up, fess up and' there's just, footage which
0: is <sighs> can I just say. Aside from anything else, is a hilarious thing to have written in huge text in your workplace.
1: Your yeah, it, I mean, a very dangerous workplace where I'm sure people get injured if people don't mention that mistakes were made all the time. It makes but sense. Still has Funny. big like, uh, you know, Lenny suddenly becomes the head of the power plant, and he's like uh, <laughs> relaxing, and then he leans forward to the the uh, megaphone. And he's like, uh, everybody. Uh, work harder (laughs) and then leans back uh hey workers uh uh do safety make sure you do (laughs) safety yeah anyway um one of his handlers uh scott morrison's handlers very accurately realized that it would be hilarious if he stood in front of that sign so they came
0: up with a much less funny solution
1: Which is to be filmed hanging a high vis jacket over it, um, and uh, <laughs> like it, it's very funny that it got the cover up got captured on yeah screen, on, on camera, um. But anyway, uh, the Labour Party obviously made fun of it in the least funny possible way, being like this is a classic metaphor for the Scott Morrison <laughs> government. Uh, they see well a done, problem, guys. and instead of dealing with it, they cover it up. Um,
0: that's the joke.
1: Yep. Um, but Hill uh made a much better meme about it, <laughs> saying, "SMH cancel culture gone out of control," and it's a uh, uh, three panels of the sign, and then it being covered up, but the sign has been edited to say, "P" and also shit even. <laughs> Which is then covered up by Ibis <laughs> jacket. And then Scott Morrison stands in front of it. <laughs> this is a great template. I, I, I haven't it's been really able to come up for it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. So that's sort of our uh, our meme roundup. But as as listeners, eagle-eared listeners, will have noticed, that a lot of these things were election-related because it is election time. So Zach, why don't we seamlessly transition into our election section? elections Double generally winning. not that fun there's
2: too much politics going on at the moment don't
1: blame me i voted for kodos
2: go quip it
1: <laughs> um <laughs> that's an in joke with my year eight french class if any of you're listening <laughs> it's, uh, uh, election time which means it's uh, sausage time everyone is talking about the sausage queen we've all got sausages on our lips and as a side note i had to read and write the phrase sausage queen (laughs) so many times while researching this story yeah so there's this lady chrissy flanagan aka the sausage queen actually like that's her
0: handle that's her that's her social media
1: handle yeah what are you are you suggesting she's not actually the Sausage Queen? No, exactly. I'm just saying, yeah, you... it's like,
0: this is not, we're not calling her the Sausage Queen. We haven't given her this name. This no. is the, yeah. this is the correct nomenclature, is what I'm saying. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's also another Sausage Queen in, in Victoria, but the one that we're talking about is the Sausage Queen of Dulwich Hill. Dulwich Hill. yeah. 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 Woop woop. Uh, she's... One of the owners represent. of the the Sausage Factory, a self-described brewery and snaggery. And um, she posted a TikTok basically being like, Albo is my landlord and he cut my rent at the start of the pandemic. He's a cool guy. Um, and also that he was like wandering around and checking on small businesses without media or stuff. Which, if that is true, is... The least bad thing I think I've ever heard of an MP doing, so <laughs> like in and their private like MP business uh, that like normally it's like yes, local business group, I will get five hundred thousand dollars for a new pool in this private school. What and yeah, um, and you know she's like oh this is proof that Albert is, he's real and lives what he preaches and does on a small scale what he advocates on a large scale which of course albo has ruled out even looking into raising welfare the alp social housing platform is like actively bad for people needing social housing she opens Uh, the
0: video with saying this is how this is proof that anthony that voting for labor will solve housing affordability and then goes on to not really establish that as fact at all
1: yeah, and like I remember something that my dad said, which I've really stuck with me. And I think I mentioned it to him once recently, and he was like, "What? I don't think I'd say that, but I'm pretty sure he did." <laughs> wow, but...
0: that sounds like me talking to you.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that's where I get it from. Um is like, so... of plastic. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> that's some crazy hippie <laughs> shit. Who would who would tell you something nonsense like that? um <laughs> my dad i believe one time said well look john howard's a war criminal but i'd trust him with my last dollar uh, he was a, he was a staunch anti-liberal clear. Like, he was not a liberal voter he, he was not endorsing him as a politician he was wow. just saying like as a person he's probably not like cruel and ho- horrible to the people around him and like his friends probably like him. You know, it's some George Bush hanging out with Ellen DeGeneres shit. Um, And, you know, as a side note, I wonder if that would be true if my dad was like a first generation migrant or trans or something, but like... He's not. He's not, yeah. And (laughs) politicians might be perfectly pleasant on a personal or like Mm. small scale level. That doesn't mean they don't do crimes against humanity and or have... Terrible neoliberal pro-business anti-worker policies, despite
0: mm. being, being the friend of sausage ladies everywhere.
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So after that first TikTok came out, it turns out that she worked for the ALP. I think in campaigns and an office staffer. Uh, but uh, she claims it was for five months. Uh, but people were like unauthorized advertising. You're a partisan hack. And and yeah, she did a follow-up TikTok being like quote, literally 20 years ago I worked for them for five months and so definitely fuck me, and it's absolutely something I should have mentioned even though it doesn't change a single fact of the story. <laughs> Which, kind of a reasonable point, I guess. Um, and, like, you, you're allowed to be a member of a party and then say that you like that party? Like, I don't...
0: Yeah, I get if people felt maybe, like... Uh, you know, it's like the TikTok went viral... And the concept is is basically I didn't even know that Albo was my landlord until I signed the lease, and it turns out that he's a really good landlord. And just right. that, I just feel that way as a regular punter. And then people are like lies. You work for the party.
1: You're yeah, a liar. Exactly. And she's clearly not like. I mean, I'm sure she is more now, but she's not, like, a Van Batam or Friendly Geordie's level, like, social media influencer, Labour Party operator. No. She's a sausage queen who happens to have been elbow-pilled for some reason. Yeah, And, like, whatever, you know? Like, I don't yeah she's like, like catching take. a lot
0: of hate which i feel is yeah. kind of unjustified i mean in that second tiktok she talks about like all the abuse that she's gotten because of course yeah, she yeah. is a woman on social media in the public eye and is people you know people are, like fat shaming her and blah blah right. it's like she doesn't deserve she- any of that
1: she said she got relentlessly harassed by trolls calling her fat and sending threats of violence, quote, during my 25-hour sausage-making livestream. A um, bunch of people leaving <laughs> fake one-star uh, one reviews and a bunch of people being like, get back in the kitchen, and others saying you can't cook Make and you sausages. don't know anything about sausages. Which, that, like, <laughs> A, pick a lane, and B... You can't beat Serena Williams in tennis, even if you disagree <laughs> with her political stances. Um, Look, yeah. the fact
0: that she worked for the, Le- the Labour Party for a few months, like, she claims it was like 20 years ago or something. I think it's much yeah, less yeah, damning... Yeah,
1: 2003 or something. I don't think that's in contention that it was not 2003. Right. So...
0: Well, yeah, it's like, whatever. I mean, she clearly doesn't seem to be the most honest operator ever, because she didn't mention... Not just that she worked for the Labour Party, but that she had collaborated on a special Anthony Albanese-themed sausage. Yes. Like, literally, it was, like, three years ago or something. Right, right. Um,
1: Which Um, I think is
0: much more damning evidence.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That this is, like, a deliberate thing. But, like...
0: That she doesn't just happen to have been like, oh, wow, I didn't realise Alba was my landlord and he was cool. It's like, you know and have been clearly obsessed with Anthony Albanese for a while now.
1: Yeah, it's like it's also the rent for her business. So, like, uh, you know, she was like, he was going up and down knocking on the streets or whatever. But, like, I wonder if he happens to go to the ones where he knows that people have made sausages named after him <laughs> more often than I the might, ones yeah, where they look, don't.
0: I would be slightly <laughs> more inclined to poke my head randomly into a shop if they had a Zackwurst,
1: you know, and they were paying me three grand a week yeah <laughs> uh, also that oh sorry sorry two and a half grand a week during the pandemic quick man yeah quick <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh but i mean the the thing about this story is like and, I, and like i said i do think that this woman is catching unnecessary heat and Absolutely, it's like totally it not me cool this, no it reminds me of this tweet i saw the other day <laughs> about twitter being a lottery that you can only lose um, and this is—that's <laughs> very but true. Like, that's, you know, that's a good take. Every day, one random person with fifty followers gets plucked from obscurity <laughs> to be like subject to an absolute like fire hose. <laughs> torrent of, of just yeah. hate and vitriol and then everybody forgets they exist
2: Yeah, and that, yeah.
0: you know this is TikTok but same basic principle but the thing is that the story just keeps getting fucking weirder the more and more you look into it these photos have come out of her like she has made these knitted sausages out of wool that I don't know which what's going also, on there.
1: that's a curious choice
0: very curious she took like, a photo of herself with one of the big knitted Sausages. Pink sausage. In in the public toilet in Marrickville Metro, I think it's in marrickville Metro, that has a giant photo of that young hot Anthony Albanese
1: in it. It's very curious. And it's like posed delicately in front of her face as well. <laughs> which just... is the appropriate place for a sausage, but it's just also clearly you know, <laughs> you don't get into the sausage queen business without making a few dick jokes. jokes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Anyway, like I said, we all will have forgotten about this in a week. I think yeah. it's okay to enjoy the kookiness of it and acknowledge that, like maybe her um testimonial about Albo just happening to be a good guy landlord is like not super reliable whilst also or not having to like subject her to abuse, yeah. you know, yeah, 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 like totally, I wish we yeah. could have fun with this stuff without having to be like. But also, we clearly disagree with all these people saying that she should die, you know? Yeah, I just, that's bad. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it'd be nice to not have to...
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. N- nice to not have that happen, yeah?
1: Um, okay, before we move on, a little bonus mini-election section. Uh, a guy is being referred to the federal police for potential electoral fraud because he, quote, allegedly registered as a candidate in two seats for two different parties. <laughs> um, it's been alleged Mr. Heffermitt was nominated for One Nation in the Seat of Banks in New South Wales and the Australian Federation Party for Brand in Perth, Western Australia, a violation banned under the Electoral Act. I Each love that nomi- it's for
0: two different parties. Yes, like, so good. This guy is playing the field. <laughs>
1: Uh each nomination form had differences in the listed information, including a different date of birth and a different expression of the candidate's name that he said in a statement. Which is big One Nation candidate energy, if you ask me. Um, yes. And yeah. it's like
0: I would be careful fucking around with election fraud as a as a member of One Nation, because you could Tony Abbott could send you to jail.
1: I mean, he could end up as the head of his own party though. Yes. And, so After
0: going that, to jail, being fired a couple times and then reinstated, yeah. Um, <laughs> so also, what you're saying is you see a bright future ahead for this young man.
1: <laughs> well, he can't be removed from the ballot papers, so people <laughs> could still vote for him, but I think because of this crime he can't get elected. Yes. So this is one of those rare cases where someone's vote could get wasted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, so, surely they would just... Uh, I guess, like, number they two would give whatever. It,
0: surely the second preference would go, right? I don't know, that's an easy question. Preferential voting
1: is useful again. Um, (laughs) Yes. uh, Funny shit.
0: Yeah, thanks One Nation for keeping the election light and bubbly for us.
1: Yep. Uh, But we have a much sadder story coming up next, Zach.
0: Yeah, um, definitely a a very different mood. This is our First nation story for the week, and I'll give uh, a warning here that We're going to talk about an Indigenous death in custody, and we'll be using the the name of an Indigenous person who has died, so we'll put time codes in the show notes if you'd rather skip over this section. Uh, So this week, the coronial inquest began into the death of Yorta Yorta woman Veronica Nelson. Uh, Her family have, I believe, asked for her to be referred to as Veronica. Uh, Veronica was arrested for shoplifting on the 30th of December in 2019, she died in a jail cell at the Dame Phyllis Frost Women's Prison on the 2nd of January, 2020. So, you know, it's two and a half years after she's died that this coronal inquest into her death is starting, which is just like, yeah. I can't even imagine what that must have been like for her family, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. So, Veronica was going through withdrawal from heroin when she was in prison. She was assessed as a, by a prison doctor as looking, quote, generally well despite apparently not being able to sit up by herself at points and also being incoherent a bunch of the time, doctor was like, yeah, cool, no worries, off you go, into a cell by yourself. An autopsy found that she had a rare medical condition called Wilkie's syndrome, which apparently restricts the arteries and can cause Mm -hmm. dehydration, which makes sense when you listen to some of the recordings that have been published as part of this inquest, and you can hear Veronica calling for help multiple times before she died over the intercom. And she's asking for water, asking for cordial, asking for salt. Like, she knows that she's dehydrated and, you know, that's what she needs. She was apparently cramping so badly that the prison nurse had to pry her fingers open to hand her medication, Just yeah. such wow. a shocking, upsetting detail. And, yeah, she was repeatedly told to shut up, basically, stop asking for help. You're going to annoy the other prisoners. Uh, and, yeah, she died alone in that cell. Uh, Now, I mentioned that Varenka was arrested for shoplifting, which is a crime that supposedly carries no jail time, but clearly being arrested for it can get you enough time in prison to die. Here's a quote from The Age. As of June 2021, 61.4 percent of Aboriginal women in prison were on remand, up from 25 percent in 2012. I think that's wow. Victoria-specific um, that that's statistic. Awful. But yeah, six, or like you know, two-thirds of Aboriginal women who are in prison are not there because they've been sentenced; they just haven't even been like Protest, they're just awaiting they're just, their yeah. hearing, which is yeah. absolutely mind-boggling. So Veronica. Applied for bail herself, without legal representation. And then kind of unsurprisingly, she was knocked back, and that's why she ended up in the Dame Phyllis Frost women's prison. Here's another quote from The Age. The officer who filled out Veronica's bail form admitted errors, including ticking a box on bail and remand Oof. paperwork that indicated the 37-year-old would continue to, quote, endanger the safety or welfare of a person.
1: Oh, no. This
0: is despite Nelson having no history of violence. Other boxes were also mistakenly ticked or left off the inquest heard.
1: Quote-unquote mistakenly.
0: Yeah, well, exactly. And, like, what's the line between incompetence and, and malice? Right. That shit gets very blurry if, like, the reason that you are being incompetent is because you're a racist cop. Yeah. You know, there's something and so... It... Sorry, go on.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, like, I don't know, I, this isn't fully formed but like that th- the idea that that's like an excuse that makes it better that like oh it was a it was a, like i ticked the wrong box on a form and it's like that shouldn't lead to someone being ignored overnight while they slowly die from a known medical condition because they were misassessed by a prison warden and not given bail like yeah no it's just like
0: horrible like the the fact that a bureaucratic mistake
1: yeah literally like a box
0: you know and it's like and how much simpler could you make this process for the constable who's you know supposed to be doing conducting this process they've literally reduced it to a box ticking exercise and and still right you know Uh, so yeah you know there's been testimony from um Lawyers as well, basically being like, it's very possible that Veronica could have gotten bail, um, you know, especially had she been represented legally, but especially as well if this box hadn't been ticked. Anyway, um, the inquest is going to go on for the next uh, four weeks or so, so there'll be um, a lot more detail coming out about this uh, over the next little while, and we'll keep up with that. Uh, But I wanted to end up this story um, by reading a few quotes. Here's from the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. Coronial inquests too often dehumanises the person whose death is being examined. Her mother, Auntie Donna Nelson, and her partner, Percy Lovett, want everyone to remember who Veronica was and how she lived her life with love, generosity, and a deep connection to her spirituality. And they have a couple of quotes um, from uh, Veronica's mum and partner, which I wanted to read out. Here's from her mum, Donna Nelson. Veronica and I connected personally and spiritually. She wasn't only my daughter, she was my best friend and sister. Veronica didn't have children, but in our culture, your brother and sister's children are your children. So when you took Veronica away from me, she left behind ten children and one grandchild. And this from her partner, Percy Lovett. Veronica was my other half. We did everything together. We had plans for the future. Even now, it spins me out how much I miss her. I walked downstairs and I still expect her to be walking around the corner. I loved her very much and I'm missing her that much. I don't know what to do with myself. Veronica was always helping people. She would help people if she saw them in the street. She always made sure you were well off, that you had everything you needed. If you didn't have it, she would go out and get it. She never knocked anybody if they needed help.
1: Yeah, I remember when this all first happened there was some photos of Percy Lovett, her partner, um just looking absolutely shattered and heartbroken and like
0: Yeah. He makes the point elsewhere that like that when indigenous people get in trouble with the cops, like, you know, immediately there's this, you know, quote unquote accountability for their behaviour or whatever. But absolutely none of that in the opposite direction. You know, the the family's been sitting around for two and a half years waiting for the inquest to even begin. Whether or not they'll get anything resembling Mm. justice out of the end of this is an entirely different question, as well. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, as I say, um, we'll keep um, on top of the updates in that inquest as they happen. Um, But uh, in the meantime, uh, let's move on now to our next segment. You fucked up.
1: Yeah, so Ben Robert Smith, alleged war hero, uh, continues to win completely unabatedly um, in court. Uh, So he's suing the nine Fairfax papers for claiming that he did war crimes, basically, and other crimes as well. Um, And the the trial has now moved on to cross-examination. So all of the witnesses called by... Ben Robert Smith's lawyers are now being grilled by the newspaper's lawyers. I think that's what's going on. I'm not a lawyer, but that's what I can piece together from the article. Yeah. And of course, it's going great. Um, so here's a couple of quotes from Hugh Remington, who uh, used to be a ABC guy. I don't know where he is now, but whatever. He's a journalist. Uh, ben Robert Smith's two critically supportive eyewitnesses are his SAS mates, known as Person 5 and Person 35. Yesterday, Person 5 was charged with intimidating and causing harm to a Commonwealth law officer. Today, Person 35 was in court defending his wearing of a KKK outfit at an SAS fancy dress booze-up. He says it was a laugh, and he won the fancy dress competition. Also, his liking of an Instagram post yesterday that spoke of Fairfax media lawyers being drowned in a, quote, muddy puddle much for the judge to ponder (laughs) so that post um, that
0: he liked is way worse than that as well it's talking about lawyers being first against the wall in their fancy jackets or some shit like
1: that so i've got the full oh you've got you okay okay so this is from the sydney morning herald an indication of person 35's view of the proceedings could be found in an instagram meme that he quote liked on the morning (laughs) of his second day giving evidence it featured a woman who is wearing a tag that read SAS whistleblowers, her mouth smeared with a white substance and a grinning man labeled Fairfax Media, the name of the company that owned the newspapers when the articles were published. Oh,
0: that's so much worse than I even
1: yeah. realized. But it's yeah, It's so weird how all of these it's...
0: guys who hung out together a huge pieces of shit and did many crimes.
1: Also sexist. Yeah. yeah. Um hmm. Yeah, I think that's the first time in my Ozpol watching career I've seen a newspaper try to describe cum um in an image and they didn't do great. But no, anyway, it's not yeah, something so, that I hope we have to revisit soon. Hope hopefully not. But it is, you know, there's some fucking Ozpol news. Um yeah, so Beneath the picture were these words. When some fuckwit in a suit starts questioning your integrity using his fucktard snake logic, he learnt getting his tonsil bruised by some lecturer's spotty dick at their non-binary law school, remember one thing, that this cunt will be one of the first to be held down and drowned in a muddy puddle for his fancy jacket when society crumbles. If slash when society crumbles, it'll be thanks to him and people like him thinking we'll all live on fucking Sesame Street and everyone adhering to their putrid way of thinking.
0: That is... (sighs) Again, a lot worse than I had realized. Okay, it's I mean pretty bad. non-binary law school. This guy sounds like a fucking like conservative bingo card. This yeah. is Yeah. This and he liked this shit while well, the trial is ongoing.
1: He was giving evidence while he liked it, seemingly. Uh that's something that I read in a couple of things. Yeah. Um It's really way up there with that uh, police guy, uh, Brett Guerin. I think that's the right one, finally. I've mentioned the correct one. (laughs) Doing the, like, the racial slur for a group needs the whip kind of remarks. It's, like, really up there in the vile comments of Australian politics. But, yeah. So, yes. Um... This guy also uh, yeah, won a fancy dress costume in Afghanistan while he was dressed as a KKK member. He claims he was, quote, making fun of the pathetic KKK. And also that it was an easy costume that he threw together with a sewing machine. But he still because...
0: managed to win.
1: Which I... Yeah, and also he had like a flaming cross and a noose, which... Admittedly not like the world's hardest props to put together, but it was hardly like a oh I'll just I'll just like, put a whack on a sheet. T- toss a sheet over me. Yeah. He like sat down with his sewing machine. Um Sounds like
0: he knew it was gonna go down a treat with the boys.
1: And also, okay, so part of his explanation was that someone else went in blackface. Um so like Ah,
0: oh, it was like a couple's costume. Is
1: that what he's saying?
0: Because I think... No, that, that that's way, way better, bro. That's way better. No,
1: because I think what he meant to say was like someone else was being problematic. So I figured it was fine to also be problematic. But it really sounded like he meant what you said. Mm. Yeah.
0: These are the people that Ben Robert Smith has voluntarily put forward as good witnesses to him being a cool guy and not a war criminal.
1: Yeah, so um, on that note, Person 35 has also admitted in this trial that he's currently the subject of a war crimes investigation. (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) Uh, So from the Guardian. But Person 35 said he was being investigated by the Office of the Special Investigator set up by the government to investigate allegations of possible war crimes committed by Australian Special Forces in Afghanistan. I am aware that that is being investigated, he told the court. I've had a false allegation made against me. Um, Also from The Guardian, Uh, Robert Smith's first soldier witness, known before court as Person 5, so different, totally cool guy, Mm -hmm. confirmed during his cross-examination that he was being investigated over the potential commission of war crimes. Person 5 agreed under cross-examination that a total of five murder allegations had been made against the patrol he served on with Robert Smith, including two alleged incidents which form part of the newspaper's defense in this case. So,
0: And that was the guy that also got arrested
1: By (laughs) Yeah, so it it seems that he tried to run away and then shoved a cop who had come to search his house and seize his phone. Like a bunch of cops came one evening Mm. and he was drunk and like arced up and like ran to the lift rather than hand over his phone. Mm. And one of the cops was like, Hey, stop, and he quote, pushed him in the chest. Um and he's been charged with two crimes as a result, uh, and was bailed out for ten grand. Um just a really interesting note that this guy who is being indicted for literally murdering people and then was arrested for assaulting a cop just got bailed out uh when veronica in our our previous story didn't for something that's not even supposed to carry Mm. jail time just a weird thing about our justice system that i thought i'd comment on but yeah it turns out that channel seven was paying for not only all of their lawyers for the defamation hearing but also all of their lawyers for the war War crimes crimes trial yeah Yeah. um but once that was announced kerry stokes who owns seven was like oh no 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 that was a little bookkeeping whoopsie doodle of millions (laughs) of dollars of legal fees um it was meant to come from this investment firm that i also own." Not Channel 7. And so that investment firm has now paid back Channel 7 for the war crimes oh, cool. Well, that'll, that'll make money. the
0: stink go away. Yeah, I
1: guess that's probably fine then. Yeah. Now, yeah, I didn't yeah. think
0: of Kerry Stokes as the funding war criminals trials guy. I think of him Not as the anymore, yeah. funding the investment firm, funding the war criminals trials guy.
1: Well, paying back Channel 7 who <laughs> accidentally... Yeah, oh, exactly. So, yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. 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 Just finish up with one more little... Uh much less crime against humanity uh moment oh, from the trial that was also tweeted by Hugh Remington. Witness person uh, sorry, witness person thirty-five at the Ben Robert Smith trial has explained what a five W report is. It's a who, what, when, where, and why. Uh, maybe not who because that's an H. <laughs> close, <laughs> I mean, had tip to, to
0: Steph, I think, uh, uh Steph for sending that, that to the
1: snack <laughs> pod. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot I forgot to mention uh person 5 as a result of being charged in an unrelated assault police incident is now known as person X. So That's an upgrade. Uh That's well, actually it's not entirely clear to me that they're the same person, but it seems a lot like person 5 mentioned that he was being investigated by war crimes a soldier known as person X who was giving evidence that day punched a cup um so it's like a bit of uh witness x and also this person, Nicola Gobbo, is involved <laughs> somehow um yeah, but uh anyway, yeah, there we go uh
0: thank you for taking us through the ongoing hilarious comedy car crash that is on ben mi- unmitigated Smith. success, yeah, yeah. There is the, that one bit of analysis floating around, I've seen a couple times now, where people are basically saying that the only way that this plays for Ben Robert Smith is that to get this shit all out in the open now would preclude a criminal trial about this stuff. I don't know if that holds up or not. Sure. You know, but that it's like sounds. Short... I think not you could make right a pretty good me, case now but... that most people in the public would be biased against you. Right. <laughs> after I see all, what you mean. all the sure, shit sure, that they sure. have heard in this trial. So I don't know. But yep. anyway, if you know law, um, tell us whether that's a terrible misread or not. Yep. Uh, we can't co-sign it, but hey, it's out there. Positivity Corner. Nice quick one today. It's actually a fairly positive Positivity Corner, which is nice hey. for a change. Construction unions are going to do a green ban to save an historic Melbourne pub. Uh, which is good. So, if you don't know what green
1: bands are, they were kind of uh, mostly a Sydney thing. Zach, sorry. Um, what's a green band?
0: If you don't know, don't know what green bands are, they're mostly a Sydney thing. They were started in the 70s by the Builders <laughs> Labourers Federation, which was at the time being led by activist unionist Jack Mundy, who was also a Communist Party of Australia political candidate in the 70s, all-round cool guy, someone who many in the union movement should aspire to be more like. So, a green band was basically when the union would refer- refuse to work on construction projects that they thought were either like environmentally or socially destructive mm-hmm. which is very cool yeah. uh, so they preserved a lot of parkland in sydney they uh, fought for the preservation of public housing um, in melbourne they saved flinders street station from redevelopment you know all round good stuff cool our cities are better off for these green bands. So the pub in question in this story is called the Curtin Hotel, which is um named after John Curtin, the Labour leader who was Prime Minister in World War II and you know, a bit of a white supremacist, but hey. Across the road, it sits across the road from the Victorian Trades Hall, so it's like where you go to get a beer after you've been at like an organizing meeting or whatever. So it does it does have like a strong association with the union movement. Yep, totally. yep. Yeah, yeah. It's also a great music venue of heap seen heaps of yeah. great local and international acts
1: there. Um, yeah, I think yeah. I saw a drag show there one time.
0: Yeah, we—I d- definitely saw Lazy Susan there at least once. Um, so this pub, which is yeah, like an integral part of the Melbourne music scene, very closely associated with the union movement, was bought earlier this year, and now who the buyer is and what they intend to do with the property is secret. <laughs> yeah, nobody okay. really knows. Trades Hall has apparently tried to get in touch with these new owners to find out their plans, but they've been repeatedly right. ignored. So, the building industry group of unions, which is a little collective that includes like the CFMEU, uh, metalworkers union, plumbers union, electricians union, mm-hmm. um, said that they will institute a green ban on the project. Basically, you know, they'll refuse to allow it to be demolished. Um, cool. Now, of course, since we're talking about the CFMEU in Victoria, uh, mm-hmm. mandatory fuck you, John Secker, step down, you asshole. Also, yep. stop protecting him, Vic Trades Hall, get your shit together. Yeah, um, but aside from that, we do love to see unions standing up for generally things that are good for society, not just you know the issues totally. that, that directly affect them.
1: I mean, it it does directly affect them, but because like, it's
0: a union movement watering hole, you mean <laughs> like one less yeah, pub? Yeah, exactly. For them? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I doubt they would do it for the plow down the road from my place because it's not. Their meeting place. But yeah, like, but
0: is it like historically important, the plow?
1: I mean, <laughs> it looks historically important, but I don't know shit about it. It actually has a Labour MP's office in the same building now that I think about mm. it. But well, anyway. maybe you need to get in touch with the, yeah
0: <clears throat> with the unions and see what they can do for the plow. Is the plow under threat?
1: Well, like the uh the one next to the Melbourne Uni Law School, for example. Whatever. I j- They could be doing I more
0: and th- better. <laughs> Green bands, I think it's
1: yes. it's very cool because it is using labor organizing and the power of solidarity of the workers in a way that has largely fallen out of favor in direct action or yes. direct inaction as the case may be. Um, and I think that's a really great thing to be happening in the union movement in general. Yeah, uh, because there's I just,
0: not enough of it. Yeah,
1: just feel like maybe saying that it's standing up for the general good of society and not just the issues that directly affect them is maybe oversourcing that sausage a little. But- uh, like, fair enough.
0: I disagree. Um, sure. I think that this is, like, it's a green ban. That's the spirit of the green bands. Like, they're not, you know, a black ban is when people, the, the builders refuse to work on a site because the safety conditions are terrible or whatever. A green ban is when you stand up for something because it's important uh, in a social sure. way. And sure. it's like you know, it's I'm not about saying it's
1: not a green band. Like, I
0: you just think that they have slightly more of a horse in the race than they would for a piece of random parkland, for
1: example, or when it comes social to, housing. Yeah, uh, sure. I mean, it would
0: be great to see them do this for social housing. Totally. Um, so
1: yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to shit on this. I still think it's cool. I just, I uh, and yeah, as well, I say, I think the action is even cooler than the specific details of the action.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, look. Yeah. I think it's uh, it's a very cool like, yeah, uh, marker of the possibility of union action being a force for improving lives of totally, you know the people totally. and standing That's up to ruthless capitalists. And yeah. yes, but it would be very cool to see them come back in a big way and not just for <laughs> like union-affiliated pubs. Uh, and on that, why don't I end this segment with a tweet from friend of the show J.B., aka Fairy Godslut, on Twitter. Step one, save the curtain. Step two, refuse to participate in the construction of any new fossil fuel projects. Yeah, Step correct. three, yeah. no new housing to be constructed if it's not safe, energy efficient, and affordable for low-income earners. The spirit of Jack Mundy is alive in us all today, baby.
1: Correct. Yeah. That is a, that's a good take on it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I
0: was bringing it around. I was bringing it around.
1: Oh, right, you had it ready. I'm yeah. sorry. I, I leapt on your... <laughs> uh, that's fine. Jumped the shark? Jumped the gun. to the gun.
0: That's not, let's not get into this. What jumping the shark debate means again. Because <laughs> uh, we've already, we already know that I was
1: right about it. Um, so we do, we do, that is uncontested.
0: Now it is time for uh, my interview with Anastasia Kanjeri from the National Tertiary Education Union. Stick around for that. It was a really good chat. Um, more union stuff, more cool union stuff specifically. So yeah, let's have a listen to that now. All right, listeners, you will know that there is a big election coming up. It's all anyone can talk about. I'm talking, of course, about the National Tertiary Education Union elections. And in a very exciting turn of events, I have here with me now someone who is running for the General Secretary position at the NTEU, Anastasia Kanjere. Welcome to the show, Anastasia. Hey, Zach. Thanks for having me. And thanks
2: for absolutely nailing pronouncing my name.
0: Thank you. I watched your introductory video on Twitter where you say your own name like <laughs> 10 times. Before we I talk. love it. Amazing. Yeah, that's, uh, whenever I get a guest on the show, I like frantically scroll through their social media being like, please tell me they've said their own name somewhere in a video. Very, there.
2: very thoughtful of you. And it
0: was your pinned tweet. So it's like, well, that's yeah, right." I, I made think you're the it. thoughtful one. Here. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. So the NTEU elections are coming up and you're running for general secretary, um, which I think is, is pretty big. That would mean a pretty big change for the union if that was to happen. Yeah. Um, so I guess for our listeners who aren't familiar with you and the union, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you first got involved um, yeah. in, in the union?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, and yeah, when you say like pretty new, um, unprecedented. So um, yeah. in, in the NTU's history, um, a, a rank and file uh, candidate, which just means somebody who like currently is a worker in the sector, so I'm, mm. I'm a casual academic, I work for universities, um, so I'm just an ordinary member of the NTU and, and never in the history of, of the union has um, someone like that been elected to the position of general secretary. Right. Is that um, sort of
0: in opposition to somebody who's like a
2: sort of professional unionist kind of thing yeah so yeah so so historically um well historically they're basically never contested elections um but historically people kind of um progress up the ranks so they become branch president and then they become like division secretary so that's like a paid so usually someone would have had a paid usually quite a fat salary paid in a Mm. union role for years before they would even run for general secretary. Gotcha. um, So they wouldn't have
0: actually been like a boots on the ground at the coalface worker in the sector for a long time before they take on that position. Yeah, Yeah. I can't see that throwing up any any problems at all.
2: No, it works great. It's an excellent system. Um, (laughs) And you can really see how excellent the system of unionism is when you look at the um, conditions of workers in the tertiary sector. Um, and how um, comfortable and happy they are and how secure their jobs are and how they never have to work insane hours or like from a hospital bed. Um, oh, and it's just all working really well. So um, there's no need to change. for No, change no need for I you know to know run. You yeah. can probably
0: end the interview right <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Uh, no, there <laughs> are big problems facing the tertiary sector. Um, people who've been listening to the show for a while will hopefully know a bit about that because it's something that we do um, try to keep tabs on, you know, we've ah. talked about uh, rampant precarity in the sector, um, you know, massive casualization, huge, like mind-blowing amounts of wage theft, uh, total lack of government support during the COVID pandemic, all these things kind of coming together to, uh, yeah, it's just like the, the sector's being attacked from all sides. Uh, but I'd love to hear from you a little bit, you know, what's it like, and, you know, working in the sector right now, and what's the experience for students, like, as well as workers.
2: Yeah, um, that's really a really miserable part of it. Um, So, like, one, I mean, everything that you've mentioned is so relevant. One thing that um, you haven't mentioned is also, like, COVID safety, Mm. which is something that my students are really um, upset about. I sat down with a student recently who um, lives with somebody with a with a pretty serious health condition mm. and who is just terrified of bringing COVID home
0: yeah.
2: um, because this student has been exposed to COVID multiple times this semester, wow. um, so has been a close contact. And this is in um, classrooms with windows that don't open um, and with uh, no air filtration Um mm. And so I've started wearing my mask again while I teach, which mm. honestly, like, you know, I don't want to be a baby, but it really, really sucks. Like it feels like you're suffering. I mean, your job
0: is talking to people. Right. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a lot of talking um, and a lot of trying to talk, like projecting your voice a bit. Um, yeah. And, you know, four hours of that um, under a cloth mask is not gr- the greatest, but it's just the only safety protection that I feel like I can give to the students. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's just not good enough, and yeah. and I really feel like I see that my students just understand that they that they like a lot of them bless their hearts, um, really understand my exploitation. Um, mm. uh, you know, some of them recently asked me if I was getting paid penalty rates for um, working on uh, a public holiday, and um, and they and they really do understand that, and 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 they understand the kind of. Um, transitive contempt i guess that they're held in Mm. by the institution when the person who's teaching them you know a lot of them you know like we have pretty good connections Mm. um and 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 so they they hate it that that's the situation that i'm in as well yeah
0: if you're not given the resources and the support to be able to be a Mm. good teacher like you know how can you know that's obviously going to have a huge negative effect on your experience as a student let alone the clear, like the very material impact of under-resourcing in the form of COVID safety, like yep. that's a really straight line you can draw from like budget cuts to bad for people's health. Yes, which is you know, so the stakes yes. are pretty high for you know uh-huh. the what we're talking about here. Yeah,
2: yeah, and yeah, and I really like I really loved your intro about the you know the federal election because you know, um, like compared to an election where. The options that we're being given are so incredibly similar. Mm. Um, I was I was excited to to sort of take this on and, and start an election campaign where there's actually a really 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 marked difference between um, the the options that you're going to be given. There's 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 yeah. something that's literally unprecedented, or this kind of business as usual. Um, and so we're really excited to get to actually talk to people about that, to talk to them about like what you know, what do you want your union to look like and do you feel satisfied with how things are currently going?
0: Mm. Yeah, my B joke um, opening was going to be an election where something good might actually happen. Um, (laughs) So yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, why don't you tell us a bit more about um, the differences? You know, what what are you kind of like, what compelled you to run? What do you want to change at the NTEU, you know?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess the first thing that I wanted to say is like I wanted to say why I think unions are important because I yeah. think that I imagine that um, there will be a lot of listeners who who don't feel a strong connection to the union movement and I say that, you know, um, with full respect for what awesome people I'm sure all of your listeners are. Mm. Um, but it's just true that unions are, um, have not done, you know, and are not doing a good job of creating connections to people and particularly younger people. Hmm. Um, so I guess I wanted to kind of say that, you know, I really believe that we need unions. You know, so many of the the topics that um, get covered on the pod here about uh, climate crisis, about housing affordability, about managing global pandemics, um, about um, so like about the, you know, the basic conditions of people's lives. Yeah. Unions are a way that we can build and direct power from ordinary people to make a positive impact on all of these things they actually are a fantastic mechanism to do that mm. um, potentially they have a fantastic potential and I yes. would say that you know they have not lived up to that potential um, and and I and I definitely include the NTU in that um, critique mm. um, there's what so often people's experience of unions are is of something um kind of slow bureaucratic fairly disinterested um certainly um not very responsive for like precarious workers but let's mm. be real not really that responsive for any workers at all yeah um and often often in relationships with management that are just way too cozy that mm. aren't really allowing for a really strong contest and confrontation to advocate for workers, mm. and as we kind of yeah joked about in the start of the, the the segment, like you see that in the declining the the declining working conditions. You you can you can yeah. just look at it and see, and and it's not to say that the university sector isn't under immense pressure. It you know it certainly is, but I think that the lesson that we can learn is that really powerful militant, well organized unionism can win gains in sectors that are under pressure Mm. Um, and so you know for example i would look there to something like the chicago teachers union which had this amazing kind of rank and file revolt a whole Mm. lot of ordinary teacher members um decided to take over a pretty kind of moribund bureaucratic union and put it to work and fought and you know this was in a in a context where um an incredibly hostile legislative context Mm. to unionism um and an incredibly uh, hostile uh, uh, government, federal government, uh, in the United States at the time, and mm. and so so you can win wins. I, do, I don't think I don't think it's ever good enough for union leaders to just say, "Oh well, things are really tough right now." Um, yeah. Okay, go out and make the difference and and help the workers actually win big, regardless, because that's literally your job.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a pretty um, strong rallying cry a pretty strong flag to plant when you're saying, you know, (laughs) I want to lead this union. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's a pretty strong point of difference. Um, And, yeah, I mean, we have been talking actually in an earlier segment about um, the possibility of – some Victorian unions instituting a green ban to save uh, the, mm-hmm. the, junk, the the Curtin Hotel here in 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 Melbourne, which is obviously a great example of, you know, the potential social good, the power for social good that unions have beyond mm-hmm. just the remit of looking after themselves and their own workers. So mm-hmm. that I think is, you know, uh, such an important part of this whole picture. Um, but I also, uh, yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, I mentioned one of the problems facing this sector is, um, you know, precarity and the casualization of the, the tertiary workforce to the point where it's, the figure is something ridiculous, like 70% or something of uni workers, you know, are in precarious working arrangements. Um, but, you know, obviously, aside from the kind of material impact that that's, that has on tertiary workers' lives, that makes the job of organizing them kind of difficult when people aren't on campus or don't have offices or don't know if they're even going to be around next semester. Uh-huh. Um, but then, you know, the flip side of that is in what you're talking about before about you still in these extremely hostile conditions, can create meaningful grassroots resistance and get results, and we have seen that mm. in the casual workers within the tertiary sector who have organized themselves and have gotten these absolutely like astonishing results with the returning of you know admittedly overall a small portion of the wages that were stolen from them, but in real terms we're still talking millions and millions of dollars here It's just that the unions have been doing for so long and so badly that it's like <laughs> you know an insane yes. number um. But so it's, it's, I feel like I have seen, and we've talked to, you know, uh, casuals networks organizers on the show before, um, who have, yeah, you, you know, taken this cohort of casualized and precarious workers who have basically, you know, been sort of disregarded by the you know, NTU establishment and used that energy to turn it into something really meaningful so I, I mean, would you see this? Um, and and your ticket is called uh, the new a new NTU, right? Yes. Yeah. Would you see a new NTU as a kind of uh, continuation of that momentum?
2: Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. So, I think that I think that it is really stark to think about the fact that. Um, some of the most impressive wins that the NTU can claim mm. in the past few years have really been won in many cases, almost despite the NTU. Mm. Um, and there's been huge. Um, one of the things that that was kind of really magical throughout the pandemic was this cross fertilization of casuals networks, where people started sharing um, ideas and strategies and 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 techniques, and um, and a lot of those were about organizing principles about potential wording for your petitions or your surveys mm. um, you know there was a lot of different things that we were sharing mm. um, but let's be honest a part of what we were sharing as well is well how do you deal with the NTU officials when they try and get in your way that right. was a serious part of the strategizing that occurred at every point um, in that and then also a bit of just emotional support for for how awful it can sometimes be mm. when you are so sidelined. Um, and marginalised when you're when you're trying to win a big win for for workers, which you know can feel pretty pretty awful. Mm.
0: Um,
2: so I think that I think that those those victories taught us a few things. The first is that actually it's not impossible to organise casuals. Yep. Um, let's resign that as an excuse forever, because again, PS, it is literally your job. Um, and it's not impossible yes it's harder sure it's harder I you know I would never disagree with that but it's possible um and secondly that um that members, rank and file members, and again, I know that this term rank and file to some people sounds sort of odd or or different, but it's just really important in the, in the union context to keep insisting on the importance of workers. Mm. So yep. if you are going to build a powerful union movement, the ideas, the energy, the impetus, the vision, that all has to come from the workers themselves. If it comes from a union bureaucrat who's been working um, in high-paid jobs in the union movement for years and sometimes decades there there just is not the vision and immediacy and connection there it just doesn't work as well so I think those are the two um sort of lessons that come out of the wage theft campaigns I mean I yeah so I am a precarious worker myself um and you know and I've been involved in you know a bunch of the the wage theft campaigns and also in the um Casualised, unemployed, and precarious university workers, uh, kind of collective Kapow, which um, did a lot of work to sort of put casual organisers together mm. um, and in contact with each other. Um, and so, <clears throat> I do see that this that a new NTU is is a continuation of that of that of those ideas. But I would also say that one thing that I've really learnt from um, kind of extending my union work mm. um, beyond the purview of precarious workers is that so many of our frustrations are actually shared by permanent and um, fixed-term colleagues. Um, That feeling that they they struggle to get their voices heard, that feeling that they struggle to get anything done, that they are sort of at best might be a sort of token figurehead for some union movement but never are going to be part of kind of putting the strategy together. Mm. Um, Also their sense of precarity. So just because somebody has a job that's called permanent um, given how awful things are in the tertiary sector at the moment, um, that doesn't mean that they feel any sense of security or mm. that they can feel any sense of security. Mm. Um, the overwork that they face, um, all of all of those issues that you know um, that, that we talk about for precarious stuff, it sort of there's this actually really strong connection um, that that comes back. Uh, to, to to permanent workers um mm. and so part of the reason as well that um that you know we we sort of were excited to launch this new NTU campaign is that it gave us a really um really good opening to start speaking to um permanent workers um and they're really willing to listen you know i think if you look at the um results of the 2021 elections in the NTU mm. a lot of casual workers stood for national council which is the kind of big Uh, democratic decision making body of the NTEU Um, and casual workers um, beat both incoming and outgoing branch presidents for national council seats and and because we know that casual density is really really poor um, unfortunately that Mm. you know that we just have not done the good recruitment work to make sure that casual workers are members of the union Mm. what we know from that is that permanent staff members are actually really happy to vote for a casual. Mm. If that person has really um, set out a vision and a kind of shared solidarity that they can offer, permanent workers will vote for that. Mm. Um, and, you know, more strength to them for understanding that our um, our needs and our, our conditions are actually really connected. Yeah. So that is another real, that's a kind of, I guess, an, an inspiring basis for launching a campaign like this.
0: Absolutely. Again, I think, you know, it's the presentation of like, of of a strong vision there and one that is built on this idea of, yeah, the shared experience of workers, not one mm-hmm. that's aiming to divide them on, you know, their, the category of their employment or whatever, um, which is fantastic to hear and sounds like it could be, yeah, like a really powerful uh, change to see within the NTEU. Mm-hmm. Um, some terms that have appeared in um, some of the, like, public statements around a new NTU that I've seen is the idea of changing the NTU from a lobbying union to an organising union. I'd love for you to tell me a little bit more about that, what that would look like and what the result of that would be. Um, Sounds really interesting.
2: Yeah. Okay, cool. So um, <clears throat> yeah, and we sometimes like the lobbying style, we sometimes call like advocacy model. Uh-huh. So the lobbying model of unionism is that you get a smart person to write a discussion paper um, and then you get maybe a team of smart people and then you get <laughs> um, like, you know, a, a high up union official to um advocate for that and what you might do is you might um call up a couple of workers that you happen to have on speed dial who will sort of you know put their face in the paper um next to it and you know i'll I'll be honest i've done this too you know when we um i'm a member of the latrobe casuals network and we have a wage theft campaign um Against Latrobe, you know, we've already had several million dollars paid out to workers, but again, that's only a fraction of the cost. So we're pushing for more. Mm. We've lodged a dispute, um, you know. And you get a call, um, and you know, um, will you do this interview with the Herald Sun? And you say, "Yep, you do it." And there you are. If
0: That's the union work that's going.
2: That's yeah, that's right. And you know, worse. like you know, and, and 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 not to be nasty about anyone involved in that, you know, it's 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 a way of doing things. Um, it gets a certain result. Mm. An organising model. Instead says what you start with is that you start with the worker. So the mm. first thing you do is you sit down with someone that you work with and you say to them, what are three things you would like to change about your job right now? Mm. And you listen to the answers. You don't expect that you know what the answers are going to be. Yeah. You listen to the answers. And so the the campaigns that you create out of that um, Come from that energy, that sense of frustration or impetus, whatever whatever it is that um, matters to them. Mm. And so, basically, you have that conversation with, say, a hundred workers in your work area, and whatever the most common answers are, it's like, okay, so guys, this is what this is what we're working on. Mm. Now, in order to do that, you need to really trust the workers, and you need to be profoundly committed to a really democratic model mm. where you as a union bureaucrat don't necessarily get to decide where the conversation ends up sure. and what you do by doing that is you actually tell this worker that you're talking to you are a leader mm. you don't you don't need me in fact the goal of a really good organizer is at all points to make themselves um, redundant mm. and that's why um, you know one of the things that I said in in my video that I um, that I Um, put out is one of the things that I think that I'm really proud of that I think the the sort of the skill if I can say really just one skill that I bring Mm. is I'm really good at getting the best out of other people and that's the role of an organiser the role of an organiser isn't to be a wonderful person oh like Anastasia can la 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 no (laughs) it's not about me it's what what potential exists in the workforce already and if I have one skill it's it's recruiting that potential and 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 allowing it out. Yeah. So, what that means is that you have to have a very different model of leadership. And yeah. that's why, um, you know, for me, my kind of key words for the new NTU campaign are democracy, participation, and trust. Yeah. So you have to be willing. In fact, you should be excited by. The possibility that that worker that you talk to is going to have better ideas than you Mm. and that maybe they would be a better leader than you and that maybe they will be running against you in the next election and maybe they will win you should be excited by that and Mm. energized by that you shouldn't be terrified by it or trying to shut it down because if you're doing that you're doing exactly the opposite of building worker power Mm. and let's be really honest about this there are really smart people in universities and there have been really smart people in universities for the last decades. So I think that if we look to being smart as the solution, which is going to save universities, I think that empirically that model has been tested and it has failed. So mm. I think that we need to not so much focus on being smart and we need to focus on being powerful.
0: Mm. Well put. <laughs> Thank you. Uh... Yeah, it's almost like you've been thinking about this for a long
2: time. <laughs> I know. I know. It's so obsessive. I'm sorry. Um, no, it's,
0: <laughs> it's it's great. And, you know, you were talking earlier about this uh, idea of unions being these kinds of stale, slow-moving bureaucracies that people find it extremely difficult to interact with, um, which I think And you're articulating uh, what a union should be, which is something that people are excited about being involved in. That is welcoming to Mm. new people and new ideas. And yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, this is broadly descriptive of the union movement as a whole in Australia. Density being down, you know, having been continuously kneecapped by the policy of successive governments, both Liberal and Labor, which is why we're not even going to talk about the federal election in this segment because right, exactly. Um, but as we were talking about earlier, there is so much latent power in the idea of workers working together for not just themselves in their workplaces, but also society more generally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and this campaign really speaks to all of that stuff that, you know, makes myself and Noon, although is not here with us for this interview, passionate about the union movement and what, you know, it can accomplish. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think uh, uh, you, you get. You said something very um, pithy in your interview with uh, Jeff Sparrow and Jacobin. Um, it was something along the lines of um, the flip side of desperation is. Oh, can you remind me of the term? Yeah,
2: I think it was the flip side of desperation is urgency.
0: Urgency, yes. Yeah. Um, and you know we we are in this kind of pit at the moment. I think you know where where, where like workers rights and conditions are being actively eroded and you know the 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 way that the tertiary sector is under direct attack by the federal government you know was completely abandoned during covid uh you know puts the sector at the kind of bleeding edge of this attack on you know mm-hmm. worker solidarity um uh, so it's yeah it is this kind of low moment but from from within that comes as you as you say that um yeah, the, the desire and the drive to fight back, which I yeah. think is, yeah, really exciting and, you know, a, a applicable, you know, across Australia, not just, you know, within the tertiary sector.
2: Oh, 100%. I mean, you know, there is nothing that would make us happier at a new NTU than to see rank and file members in all sorts of unions running for leadership yeah. positions in their unions and, you know, contesting and taking new ideas Um like we it, it's never good enough as a union movement to say oh young people just don't care about us these days again literally your job mm. to make them, make them to to find the way to make them care and I think that one reason that casuals have been like in many ways like at the forefront front of a lot of the activism in the NTU in the past couple of years mm. is that we know that we can organize precarious workers yeah, and that's kind of the thing that's been said like, oh, it's impossible, it can't be done. And mm. so we know that we can do the thing that everyone says that can't be done and that gives you a certain sense of kind of cockiness, um, you know, because this campaign that I'm running is very, um, you know, it's very, I'm really not sort of following the approved rungs that you're supposed mm. to go through to, um to become, you know, a, a leader in the union sector, mm. sector, it's very kind of just pushing to the front and saying, actually, no, I'm just going to contest this right now. I'm mm. not going to, um, uh, sort of, I, I, I don't, I don't want to be a kind of a successful union bureaucrat. I actually want to be a rank and file revolt leader. Yeah. Um, and I think that part of what has given us that kind of sense of like, actually, this can be done, is like. Well, it turns out that we can organise ca- casual workers. It turns out that we can organise migrant workers who are dealing with visa conditions. It mm. turns out that we can organise single mothers who max out their credit cards over summer. Mm. Um, and when you can, um, when you know that you can talk to people like that and get them to take risks, you um, it makes you feel kind of like, oh, I actually, yeah, we we know how to do this, um, and you know, a lot of what we learned during the pandemic, but we um, we've continued to kind of apply those skills that we've learned.
0: Mm. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think it's very exciting, and I think attendant with this, you know, with, with I guess what we're describing as as a grass as grassroots momentum within the union would be also. The kind of you know a very different political attitudes um, mm-hmm. to the existing union establishment, and uh, one thing that I did want to touch on before uh, we end out the interview because it's an issue that we've talked about previously on the show is uh, well we talked about this incident at National Council last mm-hmm. year involving uh, QUTE the queer queer unionists in tertiary education the network and there was this motion uh, about gender critical theory. kind of got uh, sort of neutered by the national executive. They took out the language that sort of condemned transphobia. Uh, And I saw um, on the website for a new NTU that you have the endorsement of Amy Sargent, who's the national convener for QUTE, which is obviously a really good sign from the perspective of, uh, you know, from our perspective here at the podcast. So that was something else that I wanted to touch on. I mean, the idea of, uh, yeah, new ideas, that are more representative of yes. the workers themselves coming up yes. with uh, rank and file members, you know, getting into leadership positions.
2: Yeah, 100%. Because one thing that I want to say, and because, yeah, that your coverage of the that National Council thing was so fantastic, um, and so cathartic. Um, one thing that I want to say about that incident, and there's there's frankly been many others in the NTU around issues with transphobia. Um, mm. I won't go into all of them now. Yeah. But every single one of those issues has come up as a result of anti democratic behaviour on the result of senior officials. Every yeah. single time okay. we have faced these issues, it has been because um, democratic processes have not been properly followed. Mm-hmm. So the members of the NTU are very clear on what they think about about this issue they don't like transphobia they want a trans affirming union there's no there's no lack of clarity from the membership on this and so this is one of these great instances where you don't need to choose between being a good unionist and having good social justice politics Mm. they go together Mm. the 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 behavior of the senior executive at national council in regards to this cute motion was appalling, but it came at the end of days of trying to step on pro-democratic reforms Mm. that rank and file workers were proposing. So this was just one element of it. The other thing that I would say about gender critical ideology is that, the reason that it's really important for us to condemn this as the NTU is because we are workers in the university sector and the university sector is a place where transphobic ideology is produced
0: mm.
2: so it's yep. it's not i can understand that say the electrical trades union might not particularly feel that they need to pass a motion <laughs> condemning gender critical ideology yeah. i you know i appreciate that but the point is is that we are workers at universities and universities construct ideology and social consensus and we as university workers want to be able to say that we condemn those who use their university positions to construct ideology that is that is harmful and let's be let's be real about gender critical ideology yes at the moment who they are coming for are trans and gender diverse people and of course I would never not put those comrades in the front of my mind when we're fighting this fight. But let's not pretend that they're going to be any of our friends. Like let's not undersell the kind of threat that this kind of ideology poses to to, to pretty much everyone. So, you know, I'm a cis woman, but I'm like kind of tall and, you know, and I don't necessarily always embody exactly the right kind of gender presentation for that that a cis woman should. Yep. So it's just not realistic for me to think that, um this isn't an ideology that is going to expand outwards into attacking um a much broader um coalition of people than it is currently because it, this is a scapegoating tactic anyway i don't need to explain this to any of your listeners
0: no it's a very good point and you know you nail on the head in terms of you know it, transphobia is in many cases just uh misogyny by another name and of course it's right. not going to stop with trans women um right. but yeah thank you very much for for speaking on that um uh, before uh, we get out of here, um, do you have anything that you would like to say to any uh, NTEU members who might be listening or university workers who aren't part of the NTEU uh, just to close out?
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I would say, yeah, if you're not a member um, yet, um, you should really become one. Um, you should really t- try and do it pretty fast because as soon as the um, as soon as nominations open, they, close, they actually close the electoral roll a week before that. Mm. Um, so we don't know when the electoral roll will close, but it's really important to make sure that your membership is paid and also that your address is up to date. And also, I guess the thing that I would say to you is, how do you feel about watching the university sector to continue in decline for the next four years under the current model of NTU leadership that we've had? Do you feel okay with that? And if you don't, um, there's a really good opportunity to fight. And, um, I think you can probably guess how I'm going to suggest that you do that. Um, (laughs) and I, I, you know, we, we, we'd love to be in touch with you. Um, we, we do this together. It's, this isn't, this isn't about one person or even one collection of people. It's about every single worker in the sector.
0: Absolutely. Well, Anastasia, thank you so much for, for coming on the show and, um, you know, sharing your experience and your knowledge about this, and um, you know, getting me excited about uh, unions. Which <laughs> unions you know, are fun? Unions yeah, can need, be fun. We need to remind people of that. Um, we really,
2: really, really do. It's actually a, an incredibly crucial task. Um, thanks so much for having me, and thanks also from all of my campaign team who have all been really excited about this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, thanks for organising. Cool. All right. Uh, well, best of luck, and I'm sure that, you know, uh, win or not, you'll continue to do great work in the in the NTEU uh, and yeah. keep keep getting the base riled up. Fuck yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, awesome. Thanks, Zach.
1: Good one. Zach, that was a, a great interview. I really enjoyed listening to it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Noon hasn't heard it. <laughs> but I will have by the time you've heard me praising it listeners and I can only assume it was great. It's Zach not told-
0: that much of a lie by the time you're hearing it listener.
1: Yeah, yeah that's right. I'm anticipating telling the truth shortly. Yeah. <laughs> uh thanks noon. It's really um, how the sausage gets made.
0: <laughs> uh yeah, and and thanks again to Anastasia for coming on. Um you know, it's it's always so inspiring to hear somebody speak with such passion about uh, the huge potential that you know the uni movement has for positive change um and yeah i think you can probably tell i was getting excited but uh now i it's... absolutely could yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i know you could and no. if you <laughs> want a podcast you gotta do a lot of shit that's not technically
1: podcasting you still gotta do that shit
0: uh follow us on the social medias facebook instagram and twitter we are at ozpol snack on everything we also would love it if you would give us a review over on apple podcasts give us that haven't rating five stars haven't a had minute, a review in a minute
1: we love them let us know so why you like the show
0: some... yeah uh they'll be huge for us you can also rate us over on spotify that will be big and if you really like what we do you can go over to patreon.com slash ozpolsnackpod. For as little as $1 a month, you get a monthly bonus episode. Or, you know, so almost monthly bonus episode. Yeah. This Oops. month's one might be a day or two late. Um, but it's going to be a good one. So uh, go over Me- to the Snackpod Patreon. Yep. Chuck us a little money. It helps us keep the show going um, and makes our lives slightly less difficult. Which is- also
1: please come watch me play games on Twitch at twitch.com forward slash NoonPlaysGames and roughly once per stream, you'll have an opportunity to understand the story behind the sting for this section. Um, (laughs) Because YouTube always puts that song in uh, my my stream playlist. So you can be innocently watching me win Hades and have that reference sprung on you. So if that's something you crave...
0: I don't know how anybody could refuse that offer literally,
1: literally every time it happens someone who's been in chat not saying anything is like oh wait is that the snack pod theme <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh
0: no i didn't make a five minute version uh but speaking of snack pod themes now it's time for a game. this is the segment where we tell you what is happening without dogs as a little reward for sitting through the part where we tell you to watch noon play games um <laughs> So
1: (laughs) that's true. That is how we came up with the concept of the pup date. Yeah. What's been happening
0: with your little boy?
1: Um, it's been pretty quiet, you know, it's been a bit drizzly. And so he's been doing a lot of like curling up with his nose tucked under his tail. Mm -hmm. It's pretty adorable. It's getting snuggly. Little bagel Uh, donut. Yeah. Love it. But yeah, no, no, no big happenings. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, I really didn't have anything. The the cat who keeps coming into the backyard keeps doing shits all over the lawn, which is annoying because I've warfare. trained bagel to shit in one corner of the lawn. <laughs> uh and Luffy doesn't know about that. And so not only is there like a significant more amount of lawn that you can't walk on, it's surprise. Um also I'll be like trying to play with bagel and he'll just be like, wait a minute, what the fuck is this? It's like <laughs> Like face first deep into a pile of cat turds. Yeah, uh, buddy. Yeah, Dante will
0: snuffle up any cat poo that he finds on when we're out walking.
1: Bagel doesn't seem to eat it. He just wants to rub his nose in it. Just have it firmly smooshed on the little leather button. Yeah, I always think about
0: that with dogs how they get their nose right up on shit, but they have this like incredibly powerful sense of smell and i always think like isn't that like putting your ear up to a massive subwoofer speaker at the club or something like aren't you getting massively overwhelmed right now maybe that's just how they like it i, I think just want it's to experience all like, poo and nothing else
1: i think it's one of those things where it's like you know you, you see a, a bunch of vertical lines and you're like what the hell and then you like look at your phone from the bottom and it says like the game or whatever <laughs> um
0: uh, like a del toro quest puzzle
1: Exactly like a Deltoricus yeah. puzzle, exactly what yeah. I mean. Yeah, yeah. I often wonder on what level they enjoy chewing things. is it like me tearing up a coaster at the pub <laughs> <laughs> Rubik's Cube? Interesting yeah, young this adult. This is why novel. I don't
0: give Dante pieces of like food that I spent a long time cooking with love for myself. Because I'm like, you're just gonna swallow where this makes a difference to you. This could be a yeah. piece of Nutri-Grain as far as you're concerned. Yeah. So have the piece of Nutri-Grain. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I don't, Dante's been a pretty good boy this week. No major disasters. He did almost kill us yesterday, which hasn't happened for a while. Cool. By cool. almost pulling us into the path of a truck. Um, Perfect. But he was otherwise quite good on that walk. I was reflecting, <laughs> um, you know, dog ownership life. This is quite a quite a nice walk and it has been a relatively pleasant 45 minutes of my. Oh, God. Oh, oh Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, I was reflecting on our walk yesterday that, you know, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before that Dante. Will not just pee on a bush. He needs to kind of run his whole body through the bush before he will yes. like, pee on it. Yeah,
1: Bagel does the same thing. Yeah. and I'm not it's like really climb- sure why.
0: Climbing through it or over it, and definitely getting as much contact as possible. And he'll often emerge covered in like bits of flower and pollen and stuff. And I'm wondering if like is Dante acting as like a local pollinator in our area? Like, because mm-hmm. he's definitely mm-hmm. moving pollen around. I'm not sure if he's getting it from where it needs to be to where it needs to go. But but
1: like <laughs> I mean probably. Yeah. Very but I, like, I mean like he's buzz, you know, that's that's what they're for.
0: That's very true. So yeah, I don't know.
1: But uh people you know, um uh honeybees uh <laughs> Drake looking away as if to say no thanks. Dante in an adorable bee costume, <laughs> Drake pointing as if approving.
0: Yeah. He's a big, stinky, greasy bee. Uh, basically. Uh, that's my pup date. He's a GDB.
1: Alright, let's finish the show. Thanks uh, everybody for
0: tuning in. Thank you very much for, to Anastasia for coming on the show. Um, yeah, we'll catch you next week for more silly Australian politics bullshit.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, uh,
0: keep on snacking in the free world.
1: Fuck John Setka. Crunch, crunch.